We're continuing where we left off last week uh, and earlier. Uh, it is uh, October 11th, 2020, and we're continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. Thank you. This is the thought of the week. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. From Ephesians 2 8. All the words used in conjunction with grace have the same character. The word gift also speaks of something which is bestowed upon us as opposed to something we earn. Salvation is not a reward. It is a free gift. And God knows the difference. From Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. I am surprised how many do not know the difference between a gift and a reward when it comes to salvation. What is the gift of God? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. From Romans 6, verse 23b, this salvation is the gift of God. Whatever your thought may be about salvation, take a step back and hear it from God's perspective. Salvation is a gift and not something earned. Even though these words are quoted by many, they are busy going about their own way, trying to earn something God will only give as a gift. If you are working for salvation, you are not saved by grace. If you are working to keep yourself saved, then you may not have been under, you may not have understood or received the free gift. Instead of working hard to prove something, why not simply accept the free gift? The terms of salvation are important to God. And if you don't see it as a gift, you will always try to show yourself worthy of salvation. For many, this verse has, has been committed to memory. You can begin quoting the words of this verse, and many can finish it. However, not many have taken these words to heart. Jesus said it best. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. From Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Your attitude of pleasing God must be confined to what God says pleases Him, or else you are pleasing yourself. Be very careful here. You may be wasting your time trying to work for that which is only given as a free gift. They worship you in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. That it's a part of the week, and I'd like to offer a little commentary on that. I don't think I can elaborate or expound much on the fact that salvation is a free gift. It's quite clear in Scripture, and we should take Scripture for its faith value. But we do need to understand that there is work required for salvation to take place, but that work was completed by Christ 100%. Not 99.9%, and we have to do the remaining. He's done the work 100%. How do we know this? Well, from 1 John 2, 2, chapter 2, verse 2, we know that 
need, Christ is the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. The sins are no longer an issue in salvation. You have nothing to get over before you can be saved, except the free gift of salvation and be saved. And that is my commentary. And now Dave will offer us prayer. Thanks, Dwight. Will anyone have a special request or prayer for the six to the throne of grace? <clears throat> Just prayer requests for the families of those who are associated with Word is Truth. I know Fred's wife, Ella, had an accident uh, last week, so we want to pray for her. She's, she's okay, but I'm told that she's still in some sort of pain. Thank you, Dave and Dwight. Appreciate that. Uh, we are going to move forward. So we're gonna, we, our time, I see, is moving forward. So we will move forward. So in your notes, we have John fifteen four: Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I cannot tell you how many sermons I have heard on this verse. This is certainly a verse that stands out and is taught frequently, and rightfully so. God has expectations of us to grow and begin to bear fruit in this world. However, it is not just any fruit. It is according to what the Father wants. We must pay close attention to this or else we will produce thorns and thistles which God will reject. Hebrews 6 8. 
It's not up to us to define what fruit we will bear. It is up to the Father. The question needs to be asked, what kind of fruit does the Father want? To answer, to answer this question, may I suggest the solution will be found in the context. So we know how important that is. Because if we're going to determine what it means to remain in him, which is pivotal for bearing fruit, obviously you could see that the verses we're in the midst of are dealing with fruit bearing and whether or not we will bear that fruit. And if we will, we must remain in the vine. So that these are, that's why I say it's pivotal for us to understand this. Now, of course, some people need to wrap their heads around, do they want to even bear fruit, right? This is not about salvation. And we just let's just be clear. Some people will be saved, but they may not bear fruit. Christ also says that. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he tells you there are consequences about not bearing fruit. So we would just note salvation is not by bearing fruit. Right? We don't, in fact, we have many verses, and uh, Dwight read the thought of the week. We talked about the nature of salvation and how it's free. It, you know, there, uh, there's nothing that we need to do for salvation in terms of works. And as was correctly pointed out, that Christ did the works 100%, uh, not 99.9, but 100%, the works are done. We don't have to add anything to the work of Christ. In fact, God doesn't want us to. That's why he tells us that it is a free gift. It is not of works. So, you know, having to say this is important because people are works-oriented. That means they want to do something for, you know, this is their whole thought. They want to do something for God. And we could say that, that motivation should be a good motivation because God wants them to do good works. He wants fruit-bearing to be the result of their life. And, uh, but first things first, we got to make sure we know what the subject is. We, we talked about the nature of salvation, and now we need to talk about the nature of fruit bearing, and that's what we will. We will. We're digging into that, but I, I'm, I have to do this reminding to make people know, and that, well, to help them understand that God is talking about fruit bearing. Now, whether we will bear fruit or not in this world, what does it take for us to do it? That's what we need to be focused on, so we can learn. So we went through several things here in John 15. We, in your notes, we, we got all the way down to what is involved in the phrase, remain in me, and, and I also remain in you. And we, we dealt with this to try in these eight points under G to understand what does it mean to remain in, in me and I remain in you. And there are some key things that came out of that those eight points. And I will summarize by saying that 
remaining in him. I think this is point number four. There is a reciprocal nature of remaining in him. And verse four is compared with verse seven. So verse 4 is remain in me and I also remain in you. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Notice, there is the reciprocal part. If you do this remaining in me and my words remain in you. So how is Christ remaining in us? That means his words are remaining in us. How is that connected to us remaining in him? That is connected by all those verses in the context that dealt with love. For us, Christ says, if you love me, keep my commandments, the spirit of truth will come. If you love me, my Father will, I will come to you, we will make our home with you. All of those things had to do or bear on the disciples showing love for Christ and his words, what he told them to do, being devoted to him, being committed to him. And it was important because they were the foundation of the church. It wasn't like they could just ignore his words and things wouldn't matter. They're the foundation of the church, Ephesians 2.20. So we gotta, we got to see that he, he's not telling them something different from verse uh, chapter 14 to 15 about their commitment and loyalty and love and how they show their devotion to Christ and the plan of the Father. He's showing them from a different analogy about fruit bearing now. And he's using the vine analogy. The Father is the gardener. You know, I'm the true vine. You know, this is what he's building, this analogy. So I'm hoping we can begin to see what this remain in me means, right? It's, they're already remaining in him. Now, really, all of this doesn't start until Pentecost. But since he's speaking to them in, in this way, he knows that they love him, and that they're, which means they're committed to him, and they're, they've given up everything for him. And they've shown it by leaving businesses, families, everything to follow Christ. I mean, if anybody is devoted, you couldn't take anything away from these disciples. They showed their love by what they did, <clears throat> the fact that they left and exposed themselves to danger because it was a dangerous thing to follow around a Messiah. And many people tried that but the Messiah proved to be false. And when Rome got word of it, they crucified the leader and they would go and try to crucify everybody who was associated with that movement. They wanted to set an example that if you follow this, well, this is what you can expect. So Christ, had, so listen, they had to truly love him in order to step out like this and, and show their love. Back to our notes here. So remaining in him, I've tried to understand, help to understand that reciprocal nature of how it works. So in point number five, remaining in Christ is equal to his words remaining in us. In other words, if you remain in him and my words remain in you, well, there it is right there. 
Remaining in Christ is our motivation to love him. And if we love him, we will keep his commandments. Just like it said thoroughly so many times in the previous chapter where we just came from. That loving him, and then we have, as it continues, and it, that is also equal to in verse 9, where Jesus says, if you remain in me and so forth, you will be, how does it go in verse 9? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So the Father loved Christ. How did the Father love Christ? Well, he put Christ in his plan. He made Christ the focal point of his plan. Not only did, uh, like Christ says in, in the next chapter, John 16, all things that belong to the Father are mine. What does it mean? That all things belong to Christ. This is John 16. If you read verses 13 to 15, you will get Christ is saying, everything that belongs to the Father is now mine. <laughs> and so that is the Father loving Christ. That's what that means if the Father has handed all things over to Christ. There's a love, a motivation, a commitment of the Father's plan to the person of Christ. In fact, Christ is our Lord. Right? We're learning the mind of Christ in this age. So this is not something that we think about in terms of uh, you know, just our understanding. It's what the Father does that helps us shape and mold what love is. The Father loved me, and then Christ turns it around. So have I loved you. How did Christ love them? He loved them by picking them, choosing them, so that they would go and have uh, be in a part of the foundation of this fantastic new age that would happen at Pentecost. Now he says, remain in my love. So. So we're talking about remain in his love. That is understanding our commitment that we have to Christ. And, and But not only to Christ, but to the Father as well, to the Father's plan that is now deposited or now in Christ. So this is how it will be fulfilled. So it's point six, keeping his commands is equivalent to remaining in his love. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, this is how you do it. You will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So again, here it is. Uh, we, we went to the previous chapter to see, because Christ is now relating what it means to remain in him with the love. And he says, here's an example so you can know exactly what I'm talking about. It says in, in John 14, at the end of the chapter, he's, he, he says it this way. Let's look at it. John 14, 31, I believe. So in the world, he says, but he comes, this is 14, 31, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father. And what does that mean that he loves the Father? And do exactly what the Father has commanded me. So what, did, what do you mean? That's the plan. Christ knew that he, was un, he came under a plan. There was work for him to do. And even when he stood before Pilate, he's, 
uh, listen, so you're a king after he is beaten up and brutalized and spit upon and mocked. And he still, he stands before Pilate. Pilate, Pilate says, so you are a king? And Christ said, yes, for this reason I was born. Okay, but my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I would look like this, standing before you, beaten, bruised, brutalized, mocked, crown of thorns, all this stuff. Yeah, I'm a king. Absolutely, I'm a king. My kingdom is not of this world. So that's what we have to understand. Christ saw his devotion to the Father as an expression of his love. Just like if you love, if you love me, he says, you will keep my words. You will keep my commandments. If you abide in me, if you love me, then my words will remain in you. That's what will be. So loving him is not just, okay, whatever you say, Christ, I love you. But then you don't do what he says or you don't, it doesn't matter. It's just not important to you what he says. No, it, loving Christ is a reference to not only saying I adore the person, but I understand what he's about and I'm on board with what he is doing and wants me to do. I, I, not only I'll do it, but I believe in it, I trust in it, and I love it. Those are the things, that commitment. So he breaks down, so we could easily see that remaining in him is remaining in his love. And he gives an example. Point seven, follow Christ's example of love in the context, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. All this comes from the previous chapter. So point eight is the conclusion of love. It's the motivation needed to bear fruit. If you don't have love, and love requires more than just your uh, professing it. Like, I love Christ. Love is explained in his words remaining in you. Or, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You will do what I say. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And, and then Christ says later in John 14, and here it is, 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. But there it is. That's reciprocal, right? If you don't love him, then you won't obey what he says to do because it's not important to you. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. What, 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 what teaching, Christ? These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So remember, the Father who sent Christ is also now a part of the picture for these disciples. So when Jesus was telling me, you know, telling them, he says, you know, the Father's in me. Right? Don't you, you, anyone who has seen me, Philip has seen the Father. Believe me when I tell you that I am in the Father and the Father has seen me. Or else believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So the Father enters the picture. So when Jesus, and, and I told you this when, in John chapter 13, I know I'm going back and back. We'll never get finished if I keep going back. But when he washed their feet and he said that to him at the end where he said, 
you know, uh, as Peter objected, here it is. Uh, it's it's th John 13, uh, 20. This is right after he's washed their feet and he's explaining to them what's going to happen and so forth. Verse 13, 20 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So that's important. That's an important part of the foot washing for this age. That we now understand that it's not just Christ, but we understand it's the Father who gave everything to Christ. So the Father loved Christ, and Christ reciprocated by loving the Father and showing that by his undying devotion to the Father's plan, even to the point of death. It's, that is the conclusion of the matter. It's about love. So remaining in him, and, and we said love before. We talked about the elements of love and how love is not just based on uh, you know, a profession, but it is faith, based on faith. Right? We have to believe and put hope and trust in the, 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 the object. And the object here is Christ. And Christ is saying everything that God, I got comes from the Father. So it's his plan. Just like it's the Father who's the gardener, Christ is just the vine, and we are the branches. Notice it doesn't say abide in the Father. It says abide in Christ. Why? Because he's the focal point here. Everything revolves around him. The Father loved me. So I'm abiding in his love. How do I do it? Everything the Father commands, I do it. So in this regard, we ought to see love as that's the conclusion of that matter. It's the motivation needed to bear fruit. If you don't have that motivation, then it is not the right motivation. And I must say that there are two ways love is expressed. And I'm still in the notes in point eight. The two ways love is expressed. One, love is a motivation, commitment, and obedience to the Father's unique plan revealed through Jesus. That's love. That's how we can express our love. Christ said it. He says, let me show you what it's like. It's just like what I had to do when I was here on earth. I loved the Father and was obedient. That's, he didn't say I'm obedient to show my love. I'm, I love and obedience is a result of it. And two, we have to love each other. Stick together. That's important. Because we, there's no group who will understand our plight in this world, except other believers. We're, we're it. So two things he gave that foundational group. Love me. Obey what, which includes obedience. And knowledge first. You've got to learn what the plan of the Father is. You can't just say, I'm going to do everything the Father says, and then you don't know what it is the Father wants you to do. You don't know the Father's plan. You can't be obedient to it. So one, one thing about love, love is the motivation. Guess what then the, re the rewards for this are not the motivation. 
So while incidentally there are rewards for those who uh, show up at the judgment seat of Christ and have done good while they were on earth in the body as the branch. But then there are those who don't and they will not be rewarded. So we can understand that. But one thing to note, what is the motivation? The motivation for us is not rewards. It's love. And love doesn't even take into account that there are rewards. I'm just telling you the end of the story. Yeah, there are rewards for those who have allowed God to use them in time. For those who are saved, obviously. And allowed God to use them in time. So, but it is not to say that, hey, you ought to be doing all these things and working hard and busy and, and trying to get rewards. Rewards, you're not just trying to stack up rewards for eternity. That, if you got that mentality, that's the wrong way to think about it. Love is the right way. We're working so that our motivation can be aligned with what remaining in Christ, what abiding in Christ, or staying there. And what does that mean? It means that we have this love that is developed, which colors and motivates our entire life. That should be the motivation. Not, well, let me see how many rewards I can stack up. Let me learn all this so I could be you know, rewarded and get all these rewards in the eternal state. No, that's not it at all. Because if that's your motivation, your motivation is not to fulfill the Father's purpose, that you love the Father and do exactly as the Father has commanded you, like Christ was. It's about love. Love conquers all. It is the only proper motivation we have in order to bear fruit. If you got another motivation for bearing fruit, you better check it. Because love is the proper motivation expressed by Christ. And is love a choice? Yeah, it is. It's a choice. It's a motivation that you have to develop by learning of him and understanding what he has for you to do. What, is he, what, is it, what does he want us to do? in this particular age. It's not relative to any devotion or I'm ready for whatever you say. Christ has already told you what's important and what he wants you to pay attention to. Now, will you pay attention to it? Or will it be like Christ said of those, in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So love is the conclusion of the matter. Remaining in him. Now we, we can hash this out as the more we go, because we will have several more verses ahead of us to hash it out. But let me state it up front. This is where we're going. This is why. This is what I see. And I want to at least show you where we are. So we got point number two. Let's keep going. Otherwise, we'll be... <laughs> have, we, we will have gone down this road and... Uh, only clarify what we already covered. Point number two, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Notice how important 
remaining means, abiding means. That's, a, that's our part. And if you don't do your part, well, it's not going to work. So point A, I think we covered this last week, a metaphor is, the metaphor is true in nature. It is also true for us to bear fruit in Christ. And I gave the analogy of, just to note, we're not to really be fruit inspectors here. And we don't know, this is for us in our personal lives. Don't, you don't need to look around at other people and say, are they bearing fruit? Let me see what the fruit they're bearing. Let me just see if they got fruit. That's not up to you. The Father will determine if it's fruit or what fruit or how he's working in their lives in order for fruit to be born. You can't tell. So you might look at a person's life and say, it's dead, it's dried up, it's nothing there. I don't even, I'm not even sure they are a Christian. But God is working in their life. And next thing you know, fruit pops out. You just don't know. It's not up to us. It's up to God to determine that. We have to back up. Point B. The fruit is not from us. Even if it's produced through you, it's not you. It is from the Father. This is how we have developed, or Christ has developed the analogy. It is from the Father. It is through Christ. And then it's through the branch. Notice, Christ is not even the originator of the fruit. It is only through him. How is it through him? It's because he abides in his Father's love. He is now abiding and is able to bear fruit. Well, Christ is not bearing fruit, but he's the vine. That's his role. So, so, But now notice, it is from the Father, it is through Christ, and it is through the branch. So what are we? What is the branch? The branch is connected to the vine. And without the vine, the branch is nothing. And which it's going to tell you that in a minute. So it is the Father's fruit. What's the Father's fruit? Well, we read about how important it was for us to understand this new construct that was going to happen at Pentecost. And what is it? It's his plan for the church. And we could even add his mystery plan for the church because it never was revealed before. Never before seen. It was hidden from all Old Testament people. Moses, Daniel, Elijah, Jonah, you know, whoever was in the Old Testament, they knew nothing about that there would ever even be an age where God is calling out many sons in the glory. As far as they knew, it was going to continue according to what God had revealed to them in the Old Testament. So it's his new mystery plan for the church. So point C, remaining in the vine limits what the fruit is to the Father's plan. Or, as I could say, as he has planted what the Father has planted. And so the Father knows what he wants. He planted it. So the, if, if it doesn't bear the, the fruit that he's looking for, well, then it's not acceptable. So remaining in the vine... If we're going to do that, that means it's going to be a certain way that we're following, that we understand, and that we not only agree to, but we love. Love is the motivation that colors our entire life. Those things we love, we pursue as a hope 
and a confidence that this is who we are and this is what we are doing, this is where we belong in this world, what we're, what we're about. And this is important for us to make those statements and judgments so that we can remain in the vine. And we must, right? It, we can't, if we do remain in the vine, we think about the fruit, it can never be fruit for Israel. It can never be fruit for Gentiles or fruit for any, you know, Jews. It has to be fruit that is according to the, to the Father's plan. And if that's the case, remember, in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. So if you're abiding in Christ and you think you're a Jew or a Gentile, then there's a problem. I said, if you're abiding. That, well, that shows you're not abiding according to the Father's plan. So those Jews who were aligned for the, you know, we, we talked about the council of uh, where they came together in Acts chapter 15 and they had these questions on the table. There were people who believed in Christ, but they wanted to go back to the Mosaic law. They wanted people to be circumcised. That's not abiding in the Father's plan. So what fruit would they possibly bear? They could never bear the fruit that the Father planted because they are thinking about themselves as independent from those thoughts that came as a result of Pentecost and the baptism of the Spirit. So remaining in the vine, it limits. It can't, it can't just be any fruit. And people might say, well, isn't that good? Well, it might be good to you, but it is not good to what God wants. That does not please God. It's like it says in the thought of we, we if we're going to want if we want to please God, we need to think about the things that He says pleases Him, not what we think pleases Him. What we think pleases Him could be religion. It is what He says that is what pleases Him. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So we want to focus our attention on the word. We allow the spirit of truth to lead us and to set us apart unto himself so that we can be used for his holy purposes. Point D in our notes. 2D. It must remain in the vine. It must. There's no questions about it. No exceptions to this. There's no other way for the branch to exist and bear fruit. It must. Right? The branch must remain in the vine for the fruit to be produced through us. So it just tells you if the, if the fruit is produced through us, I could also say that uh, that production, that sap that is flowing from the Father through Christ and to us is identified then as God the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit. If Christ says, if you abide in me, you know, you will bear much fruit. Earlier he said, if you love me, I will send the Spirit and he will be with you forever. And he's the Spirit of truth. The world cannot see him. You know him. He will teach you all things, etc., etc. It's the Spirit of truth. So there is an influence that... Uh, goes with or comes along with this Father's plan, this new age. And that influence 
help people come to the knowledge of the truth, to be guide, to be led into all truth, is the spirit of truth. And, and if you agree with the spirit of truth, then it says you are said to be spiritual and make judgments about all things. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But a person who refuses the spirit will look at what the spirit offers and says, and they will say it's foolishness. So the fruit, beware, is can be viewed by those who reject. They could say it's foolishness. So there's no exceptions. You must remain in the vine. It is not up to you. What if you say, I don't like the this new age stuff you're talking. I don't like this mystery thing. I, I, you know, I'm rather, our church doesn't talk about that. That's, that's not what our church does. So I'm just going to follow along with what our church says and disregard all this stuff about the mystery, bringing many sons into glory, wasn't revealed in the past, hidden God, all that stuff. I'm going to disregard that. Well, then you're not abiding in the bond. Christ just talked about that in the previous chapter, that it was coming. You don't have the option of having it both ways. This is what it means to abide in Christ. And there are no exceptions to this. None. Any other thing that happens besides you abiding in the vine? Well, then you cannot bear fruit. Remember, it is through us. It is not us. The fruit does not belong to us. It's not ours belongs to the Father. He's the one who planted it, and that's how it should work. Point E. Since the church is not Israel, special attention must be given to our production. Our production must be according to our calling to the Father's eternal purpose. And this is the reason why we're here in the first place. And if we relate this to... Uh, this is just an analogy for us to understand some things, right, about this new age. But we also want to see it's, it's much more the Spirit has to tell us, more than we can now bear. So when we see what it says in Ephesians 3, 7 through 11, we get the breath in a, in a word what that much more is. So I start at verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past is kept hidden in God who created all things. To his intent that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That profound, those are profound words. <clears throat> and this is part of the special attention that I'm telling you that we must give to this production. If we're going to be fruitful in this age, you have better <clears throat> be paying attention to the Father's 
eternal purpose because this is what has been revealed through the Spirit. This is that much more information. This is the all truth that the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us into. So no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must, it must, Christ says, remain <clears throat> in the vine. Point number three in our notes, we have to move forward. Just three quick points. The Father's plan is specific. It's not general. People in this time, I've noticed, uh, they have had have this Christianity according to morality or this American-type Christianity, which tries to replace United States for Israel. Like we're supposed to be Israel or something. And, and then, so then we, we can just go ahead and take the template that God has put on the nation Israel and take that template and put it on the U.S. Not so. That is not our purpose. This is what I said in the previous point. We've got to pay attention to our specific purpose. This is not general. It is very specific. It was kept hidden in God. So bearing fruit then takes the knowledge and wisdom, not just knowledge and wisdom, period, but knowledge and wisdom of this age to produce in this world. If you would produce, if you're going to produce fruit in this world, then it, it's going to take knowledge and wisdom related to this age. If you got great knowledge and wisdom about Israel and what they did and all these analogies and all that, that's good for you, but it is not good for the Father. Because his purpose is that you produce fruit according to your calling. Like Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, uh, you know, I pray as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have received. Point B. Let's move forward. When we reach the judgment seat of Christ, which is 2 Corinthians 5.10, when we get there, God will evaluate us to see if we will receive a reward for service. The criteria of judgment is our production for the Father's plan. Our own ideas and plans must be discarded. And remember, I told you, since the motiv we know what the motivation is to produce fruit, you cannot produce fruit, fruit unless you have love, which is that love is not something that is here today and gone tomorrow. It is a motivation. It is the direction. It has built in it hope and faith and, and knowledge and wisdom about what the Father did from eternity past, what now he has called you, and now you're here to this, at this point in time, here and now. It, it has all of that in it. It has your destiny in it, the understanding of it. That's love. So this is, you know, this is, we're going to get rewarded for service. As I said, that is not the motivation. The motivation is love. We're not to say, okay, we're going to get this reward, so we should be pining over it, trying to figure out what that reward is, so that's going to be ours. Yes, it will. No, it won't, unless you have what it takes to bear fruit. And that will be uh, up to the Father to determine what is and was not according to the right motivation. If you have love, you can bear fruit. If you remain in me, if you stay in me, if you abide in me, you can bear fruit. 
that is the objective here. And it is not, it is not just about bearing fruit. It is because the fruit is being born through you. You know, you might not even know what the fruit is. You, you might be thinking that, oh, this is the fruit. God is, the Holy Spirit is the one bearing the fruit. It is through you. So we will only determine what fruit was in our life when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. And God will say, here's, that motivation was wrong. That's not fruit. I discard it. This motivation was the proper when love rewarded. So we need that commitment for the Father's plan. It's not just commitment to the Bible in general where we say, we say, okay, whatever happened in the Bible, I don't have any conception of the mystery of what God is doing right now. The mystery is what is happening in the here and now. What is God thinking? He's executing the plan that was for the creation of all things. Last point in this regard. The submission, this is point C, the submission to the Father's plan is the only way. Right? There's no other way to think about this. Christ submitted himself to the Father's plan. And this is what it looks like. I'm going to turn to John 12, 23 through 36. Let's look at that. Got a couple notes. John 12, 23 through 36 says it this way. And this is where, we must look at 21. They came to Philip. Well, um, we're 20. Now there were Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip who was with from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip and Ann went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So notice, we're going to dig into this because we're talking about what that love looks like, what that love involves in us. There is a commitment to the Father's plan that is there. And for Christ, it was the plan of salvation. But that plan of salvation enables God the Father to pivot now through Christ, through the, through the victory of Christ, to bring those many sons. That was the plan from eternity past. Now he can do it. Now he can bring those many sons into glory. These many sons will be conformed to the very image of Christ. And so this is pattern that God is going to use to be able to to have what he wanted from eternity past. So he says, whoever serves me, verse 26, must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And notice 
this is important for us to identify. I'm going to back up every tree. I tell you, a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He's talking about his life. In verse 23, he's saying the Son of Man is time. It's time. Time has come. Hour has come. Son of Man to be glorified. But he tells you the principle on which he lives his life. When he says in John 14, he says, I got I love the Father and I, I will do exactly as the Father can. He knows that that involves him going to the cross. He knows this. But he says, these are the words that he says. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He's talking about us. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life, notice in this world, it's not just you hate your life, it's you hate your life in this world. If you love your life in this world, you'll lose it. You, this is not what God has called you to. If you, if you hate your life in this world, then you will keep it for eternal life. This is Aramaic talk using extremes. Then he, this is not just for Christ, it's for us too, because we're in this, we, like Philippians 2 said, we ought to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Same attitude. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Right? It's not just follow the steps that I've stepped in, like you know, you're walking in snow and you're following. No, you have to follow what what was the motivation in his life, which was to serve the Father's plan. Remember, it wasn't just the Father's plan that he go to the cross and die. Because it was the Father. Remember, it was the words of the Father that Christ said you were hearing when he was telling the disciples about this new age that was coming. And how the Father would be in them, in, in him, and, and that the they would be in us, and that he would be in us, and we would be in him. All of that is the dynamic of this new age that Christ was Teach, had been teaching the disciples. And he said, those aren't my words, those are the Father's words. And this is what you've got to keep in your heart. If you're abiding me, you're keeping those words in your heart. And those words in your heart are the motivation for why you love him and why you want to do exactly and serve him in service to him. And you're willing to give your life up in this world. And that means that you're willing to sacrifice your plans, your purpose, your ideals, your dreams for what the Father's plans, his purpose for your life is in this world. So you have to give up the one to get the other. If you don't, then there's no way you're going to bear fruit, according to John 15. So... And there's other, there's other verses to consider. There's Luke 9, 23 through 25. Let's look at that one. These, these are going to close us out. Luke 9, 23 through 25. We're going to get a similar verse. 23. Then he said to them all, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So now notice, <clears throat> he has to do this for himself, right? He, he had to deny himself whatever his thoughts were about this life. He was born into this world as a boy, he grew up, and he got to this place, and he, he was... Here's, here's what he says about the Son in verse 22. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Rejected! And he must be killed! And on the third day, be raised to life. But then he said this about those who would follow him. Because don't think you're following Christ. Now, there's some different plan that you're operating according to. It's the same plan that led Christ to this. Rejection of the elders and the chief priests. Wow, that's shame. You're going to be rejected by them and the teachers of the law. People are going to see you as an outcast. And then you must be killed, right? Christ, all this had to happen to him. And he says, well, if you're going to follow me, don't think. You may, have to, you, you may not have to die for the sins of the world, but don't think you, the world won't hate you. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. That's what it means, denying yourself, to take up the cross daily. That same thing is what we see in Romans 12. Stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to Whoever loses their life for me, notice it's a choice, will save it. And so this is, here is verse 25. What good is it if for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? I mean, this is, this is important information. Whoever is ashamed of, ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father and of the, the holy angels. So this is serious information here for how Christ overcame in this world and he turns to us who are disciples who are following in his footsteps how we would overcome. What was true for him, the rejection of the world and the religious leaders <clears throat> of that time, likely be rejection for us as well if the world hated you remember he says in john 15 at the end it is because it hated me first and why does it hate you because you're following in my footsteps you're doing the same thing i did you're following the father's plan last verses we already quoted it romans 12 1 and 2 being transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will know, then you will know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue next week with John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Father, thank you for the privilege of bearing fruit in this 
world. And it's, this has been a crazy year for us in the U.S. and actually all over the world. Uh, we pray that as we continue, we will have wisdom to, even in, as we're living in these times, to be able to bear fruit. And we know that it will happen because all we have to do is love the plan, love you, and love your son. And in doing this, we will know that we are abiding in your love and that you will, you, you will use us in this world in whatever way you choose. Thank you for this. It is our life. It, it, it's everything to us as we live in this world. It is our motivation. It is our commitment. It is our devotion. It is that motivation all wrapped up in one about the glorious plans that are laid out for us in Scripture. All of this we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our example and our Lord in this area. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Amen. And now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy Amen. to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forevermore. Let the church say. Amen.